0: good morning and I trust that uh, that you have been blessed this week and that uh, uh, that as we go about to start another week uh, the first day of the week and uh, uh, started out to this this week with our with a service and uh, a worship of our Lord uh, greatly enjoyed the things that have been mentioned this morning as we had our Bible study and talked about uh, prayer and there will be things that we will mention today that will kind of uh, be a uh, 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 I guess a reaffirmation of the things that have been talked about in that as well. But as those of you know, we've been talking about things in the book of Romans. And uh, uh, I, have been, I have been learning, I hope you have been, and, uh, and that we, as we study God's Word, as we preach God's Word, that we grow in the grace and the knowledge of Him, and that uh, we, we just continue to learn, and that our learning causes us to have more appreciation for God, uh, more appreciation for what he's done for us uh, and that we just have a greater understanding of him and how we can go about in our service to him as we live here and I hope that's what all of this does because uh, Paul was writing such a a brilliant letter you know and you uh, know I I, th- I was praying this morning sometime and, and uh, before before church and uh, I was thinking about you know how thankful I am that God gave us the Apostle Paul. <laughs> I mean, have you ever prayed a prayer like that and said, Lord, I think you, thank you that you gave us Paul so that we could have a better understanding. But he was writing to this church at Rome, uh, as we have alluded to over several different di- times uh, here, because we've been preaching on this since about September, and uh, uh which just goes to show how much is in this in this in this book and how much is to be learned from it. But uh as he as we were talking about, there there was an issue here at the Rome Church and, and Paul. Paul is writing to the church at Rome. It's a, uh, if you, today we would call it multicultural church. Uh, it had both Jews and Gentiles uh, there in the church. And as you as you as you read through this letter, you begin to get more and more understanding, or at least I think I get a little bit more understanding of some of what the issues were. I may not have a clear insight on everything, but uh, as I read through some of the things that Paul writes to them, uh, I can see more clearly. What some of the issues were, and no doubt uh, there was a little bit of a warfare between the Jews and the Gentiles there at the church, and when I say warfare, they just had a, a different way of looking at the service their service to God and what God had done for them and some of this comes to light even further here in this tenth chapter of the uh, of the book of Romans. ...as to what Paul was teaching, and I think some of the people at Rome, no doubt, had a conflict with what Paul was teaching. And we've seen some of that in the third chapter of the book of Romans... Uh, ...as Paul was talking talking to them and addressing the fact that they had basically... ...someone there had basically accused Paul of teaching that since we're saved by grace... ...then just go ahead and, and send to the amount you want to so that there's more grace out there to, to cover things. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not what I've been, what I've been teaching you. And uh, early on in this letter, he, he, he goes back and he puts the Jews and the Gentiles both on an equal playing field, saying, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. doesn't matter whether you were raised up with the law or whether you were raised up without the law. And in fact, one of the key issues that seems to come out in this, and we mentioned this a few weeks ago, uh is is mentioned in the uh, second chapter of the book of Romans and I'm going to go there before I go back to about the end of chapter 9 as we go into 10 this morning and uh and I know where I got to in chapter 10 last time about verse 13 So we'll we'll speedily go back through the first part of that chapter so that we don't lose the context of what's of what's going on here. But in Romans chapter two, he says uh, uh, he says this. First of all, in verse eleven, he says there's no respect of persons with God. So God has no more respect for the Jews than He does for the Gentiles. And he says, uh, for as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law, and as many as have sinned in the law. Shall be judged by the law. So, you know whether you had the law or didn't have the law, you're still you're still sinners, and you're going to be judged by God's moral law. Uh, whether you're whether you're a uh, uh, whether you had the law growing up or didn't. And so, he's trying to get the Jews and the Gentiles back on an even playing field. And He says, "For not the hearers of the law are just before God." But the doers of the law shall be justified. And I think he brings, in fact I know just in reading this, he brings this in because the Jews had been hearers of the law but not necessarily doers of the law. And yet you had Gentiles who had not heard the law but were doing the things that were written in their heart. And that's the new covenant. Uh, you can read about it in, in Hebrews 8, Hebrews 10, you can go back to Jeremiah chapter 33 and read about where God prophesied through Jeremiah that there was going to be a new covenant and, that, and in that covenant, in that day, God was going to write his laws in our hearts and on our minds uh, and, uh, and so he, he reveals this again that the Gentiles had had the laws written in their hearts and their minds and so they were obeying the laws of God, not because they had read them in a scroll or heard them read to them in the synagogue, but because God had written it on their hearts. They knew what was right and wrong because God had written it on their hearts. Uh, so as Paul brings this out to them here in Romans 2, he says, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, These having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts and their conscience, also bearing witness their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or excusing one another, in in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men and so forth. So he, he brings out this point. The Gentiles, which no doubt were in the church there at Rome, He says, they're doing the things of God because it's written in their hearts and on their minds. Uh, And the the Jews were thinking, we're doing the law because, and maybe they were, (laughs) they were doing the things of the law because they had heard it said. Now, so when we get over here to Romans, the end of Romans chapter 9 and we could go through a whole list and discussion. I'll just remind you here this morning uh, that in, in that second chapter of the book of, uh, of Romans, at the end of that... Paul defines who a Jew is. Uh, A Jew is not one who is circumcised outwardly, uh, but one who is circumcised inwardly in the heart. Uh, And so Paul gives a new definition to uh, what being a Jew is. Uh, He carries this on over here in Romans chapter 9, where he again talks about they're not all Israel that are of Israel. Just because you're of the seed of Abraham doesn't make you a child of God. And so, uh, but it's the the promised seed, the promised child, so it's through Isaac uh, that, we're, that we're called, and he uses Isaac as an example, and Paul gives us great light, I think, over in the uh, uh, fifth chapter, fourth chapter of the book of Galatians, uh, where he's talking about Isaac being that promised child, and we've gone through and discussed how the fact that Isaac was born without uh, uh, without human effort in a way you, you could say, but because of the direct intervention of God, and so Isaac becomes a type of all of God's children, uh, who are born without human effort—that's whether it's through the preaching of God's word, or through belief, or through confession, but through the direct intervention of God through the Holy Spirit, uh, borning them again, uh, as described in John chapter three. So uh, he goes in here to this t- uh, ninth chapter, uh, and and says this. Uh, And we'll start with verse 30 of 9 and and read down into 10. What shall we say then that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith? Brother Derek was talking this morning when we were talking about praying and having faith in God and trusting God. Here we have a group of Gentiles uh, uh, who were doing righteousness through faith that they had through the new birth, uh, that the laws written in their hearts and their minds, they had faith in God, and so they were doing righteousness, even though they didn't have the law. And so if Paul says this here to the church at Rome. He says, "What shall we say that the Gentiles, which followed not after, <coughs> which followed not after righteousness?" And I think he's talking about in the sense of following after it from the law standpoint, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith, which God had written in their heart. But Israel, again, go back and read who Israel is, <laughs> but Israel, which followed, after, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Now, they had it, but they, they weren't achieving it. And he goes on and says, why? Wherefore, or why? Because they sought it not by faith. But as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, "Behold, I lay in sign a stumbling stone and a rock of offence; whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed." And we made that point here a couple of weeks ago. That part of the part of the big problem that Paul I think is trying to address uh, with with Jewish uh, people who were uh, I 'm going to say part of the elect family of God I think that's the the part of the key point here that Paul is making they were They were Jews uh, uh, but they were Jews that had been circumcised in the heart they were elect uh, because they were uh, because God had chosen them before the foundation of the world so they had been he 's talking about people that had been born again who are Jews. Uh, but they still stumbled at the stumbling stone. And part of the problem was is that, you know, we've talked about this before, and I, I, and I understand. I mean, I think I really do understand the fact the jews had gotten in their mind from reading the scripture and you can go back and and study they had even they had even taught from their uh from their in their synagogues that day they were confused by a lot of the things that were written in the old testament they they had they could see in there that there was a messiah that was coming but on one hand they said the messiah was going to be a king and on another hand they said the messiah was going to be a suffering man a man of sorrows and they as they read that they couldn't they couldn't reconcile those two things in their own minds, and so some of them had even began to teach there must be two messiahs—one who's going to come and suffer, and then another who's another who's going to be king. And so, as they were looking for that one to come and be king, and the one who would sit on the throne of David, uh, uh, they were looking for a man coming—you know, almost like almost like that picture of what we see over in Revelation of a man coming in on the white horse and on his steed and charging in and becoming king of Israel again and raising the the nation of Israel to some great height again like it was during the times of King David. And so when they saw this man who, again, you know, of course, they understood and could even read where it said in in Micah uh, that he would be born in, in Bethlehem. So Jesus comes and they said, where are you from? I'm from Nazareth. They never asked him where he was born, <laughs> uh, you know. But he's from Nazareth, so he's from up in Galilee, and all of this was confusing. He wasn't some mighty king. He wasn't from some rich family. Uh, he was a he was a carpenter's son. He he hung around with the fishermen, and so all of these things just didn't compute in their minds. That Jesus Christ was the Son of God and the Messiah that they had been looking for, and so uh, they stumbled uh, and and uh, and 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 just couldn't accept and believe uh, that this is the guy, this is the guy that we've been reading about all this time. And of course, they were looking for a natural king instead of a king of a of a spiritual nation uh, that God was going to raise up out of every kindred, nation, tongue, and tribe on the. So they just Stumbled at it. That's you know, and uh, and were confused. And but I'll say this uh, in 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 condemnation of them at the same time. They had more. They had more idea of who it was. They, from a scriptural standpoint, they had more information than anybody else in the world had, and they rejected him. And at the same time, we've got Gentiles who, who believed in him uh, and confessed that this was the Son of God, who had none of that background. Okay, and so as we get here, he says uh, they sought it. Uh, the Jews uh, were trying to follow after the following after the law for their righteousness. And not seeing, they needed a savior and a uh, 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 a one who would die for their sins. Not seeing all that, and stumbling at this one that was before them, they they struggle with this. And so Paul has been praying. We we mentioned this. Uh, Paul had already said in the first part of this ninth chapter over here. He says. I could wish or I could desire that uh, uh, I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren for my kinsmen according to the flesh who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption. Paul wanted them to see and understand what he saw and understood. <coughs> you know and and uh, and, and I'll and, you know pause it here to think about this. It took a mighty it took a mighty act for Paul to understand what it, who Jesus was. Uh uh, and Saul of Tarsus, he was going around persecuting the early church and bring, rounding them up. Uh, uh, he would come into a town, you know, and I'm, I know we're over in uh, uh, Israel and, 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 but I mean, and, and for us to think about it today, think about a man who would come into uh, who'd come into Jasper, Alabama, and all he's looking for are Christians. Uh, and he's got letters of, of authority from the leaders back in Jerusalem that he's going to round them up. So he comes to Zion Rest and he goes to First Baptist and he goes down here to, and He's rounding them all up and taking them back. And what they're doing is taking them back to be put to death. That was his job, to go round them up. God stopped all that. <laughs> God stopped him on the road to Damascus one day and arrested him there, he, in a sense, blinded his eyes so that he couldn't see, so that he had to depend on others to take him on up uh, uh, to the house there of the one uh, uh, that, would, uh, uh, that would be praying with him during that time. Uh, but God struck him down, and, and Paul had to confess, Lord, what will you have me do? Right there on the spot. Uh, and so, uh, as he gets here uh, to this point, he says, These have stumbled at the stumbling stone, and I'm praying for them. I could wish I were cursed for them uh, because they believe, Whosoever believeth, behold, I lay inside Zion a stumbling stone um, and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Brethren, <clears throat> My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Uh, we've said this every time you read this in the, in the scriptures uh, uh, about salvation. Think about the word deliverance. Uh, and think about uh, what, we need to, what they need to be saved from. Paul wasn't concerned. We could go back to the end of Romans chapter eight, uh, where the uh, where the apostle Paul has affirmed there uh, that uh, that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those that God foreknew, those that he uh, those that he uh, he called, those that he uh, he predestinated, those that he called, those that he justified, those that he glorified. All of those whom he foreknew, he says, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Paul was not concerned about his Jewish brethren's eternal destiny. But he was concerned about the fact that they were ashamed of our Lord and Savior and were not confessing him and following after him. And that was what his central thought was. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God but not according to knowledge. Uh, today, uh, you know, I, I'm thankful there's, there are many people around this, around this country, in this community, we have people that know that Jesus Christ is their Savior. Uh, they, don't believe, <clears throat> they don't believe that salvation comes about the way I believe it comes about, the way I believe the scriptures teach that it comes about. Uh, but they they see him as their savior and so we can be thankful. Paul is talking about people uh, uh, that did not even see Jesus as their savior. We're talking about people that were born again but didn't see him as their savior. They had a zeal of God but not according to knowledge because they were stumbling at the stumbling stone of how he came and the fact that he died in on a cross and the fact that he was put to death, they they looked at, they looked at this and said, uh, uh, surely uh, uh, we had thought he might be the Messiah, but now he's dead. <laughs> you know, that was, that was their whole thinking process. And he says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, they didn't understand how God made people righteous. They thought it was all by the law the law had been their stumbling block and was part, that's the reason and I know I keep going back and forth but there's so much written in the earlier parts of this letter that's the reason Paul over in the 7th chapter of this same book of uh, Romans would say would say to these folks uh, uh, know ye not brethren for i speak to them that know the law how the law hath dominion over man as long as he liveth for the woman which hath, uh, for the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he liveth but if the husband be dead she is loose from the law of her husband if then, so then if when, when while her husband liveth she be married to another man she shall be called an adulteress but if her husband be dead uh, he says but if her husband be dead she is free from that law so that she she is no an adulteress though she be married to another man Wherefore, my brethren, ye are become dead to the law." by the body of Christ that ye should be married to another even to him who raised up, who is raised up from the dead that we should bring forth fruit unto God. He just told them the law had been completed and fulfilled in the body of Jesus Christ. They didn't need to be married to that law anymore. Uh, they were free to marry another man, uh, Jesus Christ if you will, uh, be married to him that they might bring forth fruit unto God okay all of this ties right into Romans 10 and 11 Uh, he says for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God but not according to knowledge for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God they were still married to that law that said Uh, I've got to follow the law and do those things, and this was still a problem here at the church at Rome. Part of the problem, I believe, that the Jews and the Gentiles were having, you had those Jews that had been raised up under the law, and they were saying, yeah, 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 we understand Jesus Christ is is Savior, uh, but you've still got to follow after the law too you've got to do this in addition to that. In fact, I'm not sure in reading some of this that they didn't think uh, that uh, that the Gentiles ought to be doing the law first and then also add on to it Jesus uh, uh, so that uh, so that they could be better Christians. You know, that would make you even a better Christian if you do the law and believe in Jesus Christ. They had, they were trying to blend those things together and so they were going about to establish their own righteousness not realizing that all the righteousness they needed was fulfilled in Jesus Christ and his death and his shed blood on the cross. They did not see that. So he says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Don't ever say belief is not important. Belief won't, belief won't save you in, eternally, my friends, but it'll set you free here in this old life, believing that Jesus Christ has accomplished it all, that he, he fulfilled uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the needs of God the Father when he died upon the cross and he shed his blood for us. Knowing that and believing that sets you free. Uh, that's a... Uh, uh, the, Jesus made the comment himself in, uh, in John chapter 8, I believe it was, where he says, Continue in my word, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Knowing the truth of what Jesus Christ accomplished is liberating. Uh, it, it sets us free. It doesn't set us free to do whatever we want to do in our flesh, but it does liberate you from the weight and the penalty of the law. <laughs> Imagine trying to, and I think that was another one of the issues that were going that was going on here. Uh, you had people that were legalists uh, that were saying, you've got to do the law. And they were constantly knowing they weren't doing the law. And and not only that, and, and, and we've got people like that today. They, they think you need to do this, 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 and this. And if you're not doing that... You might not really be, a, you know. It's, I, I think about Jeff Foxworthy. You know, you might be a redneck if, you know. Well, he, you might not really be a Christian if you're not doing this or that or whatever. You know, you might not be a full blown Christian. You know, if you're you're not meeting all these standards. Well, there were people like that, maybe in the church at Rome, that were saying, "Yeah, I understand you Gentiles have got something, but." You know, we had the law, and if you would just do some of the things under the law, you'd be better Christians. Well, Christ, he says, is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. You've got to do them, do them, do them, do them. I mean, just however long you want me to go on and say this out there, you've got to be constantly doing And so he says, uh, you've got to do this. But the righteousness which is of faith, the righteousness which the Gentiles had, uh, which was of faith, he says, speaketh on this wise, say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, uh, that is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That's to bring Christ up again from the dead. You're saying somehow or another, when you get in this legalistic mindset of judging other people of whether or not they're going to heaven or whether they're going to hell, uh, when we get into that judgmental attitude, uh, we're saying Christ didn't actually do and accomplish what he should have accomplished on the cross. What he did wasn't quite enough. You've got to do the law too, right? So, uh, I think it, it condemns both them, their, Rome in their day, and it condemns many of us today who look out on the world and say, well, you know, that person over there, they're not living like they should. You know, And, and you may be right, they're not living like they should. But You know what? I still can't judge their hearts and I can't judge what Christ has done for them because I haven't seen the books and the records and uh and the lamb's book of life if you want to. I don't know whose name is written down there and I don't know when they'll be born of the spirit. It could be on their deathbed. It could be at any point in any time in their life. You know, so so get out of the judgment thing and and just go on trying to serve God faithfully while we live here doing what we can do to serve him. So he says, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. What is he saying? God has written his laws in you. The word of faith says this. God has written his word in your heart and in your mind, and that's the word that's nigh unto you. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth, You're not going to confess with the mouth unless you've also had something done to your heart, okay? It says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. From what? (laughs) The Jews Jews needed to be saved from being ashamed. And he confirms that as we go right on down in this Roman 10th chapter. He confirms... Part of the problem he was concerned about was one, one, they were trying to go about establishing their own righteousness through the law because they were stumbling the stumbling stone and were ashamed of this man who had come in as a poor, humble servant and a poor, humble man who would ended up dying on the cross. They were ashamed of this man. And Paul, Paul is writing to the church at Rome and telling them, You don't need to be so judgmental trying to look and see who is or who who is not. You're bringing Christ down from his throne. You're raising up Christ again from the dead and doing all this. The word is nigh thee. He's asking these people, acknowledge what God has done for you in your heart. Acknowledge that and confess that. Uh, And he says, you shall be saved, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation." That does not say it's made in order to get salvation. But it confesses unto what God has already done for you in your heart and your mind. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. There was was one of their issues. They were ashamed of Christ. I think about... uh, uh, there's so many places in the scripture where that phrase is uh, not, not ashamed, uh, that we should not be ashamed of this Lord and Savior. Uh, here there was a group of people, he said, uh, they need to confess with their mouth what God has done for them in their heart, and they'll be saved from this. For there's no difference between, for the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between, Again, you, you, you begin to think sometimes, listen to what's being said. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. If God did it for these Gentiles, and they have a righteousness of faith which is, which is in them, not because they heard the law, not because they read the law, not because they had the laws growing up in their lives, the Jews and the Greeks are the same. <laughs> for there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all Is rich unto all that call upon him. What What doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile in today's culture. Doesn't matter if you're black or you're white, or you're a drug user, or an alcoholic, or sitting in the pews on Sundays. uh, Type of people. Uh, If you've had a work of God done in your heart, what you need to do is call upon God. Uh, I think that goes back to something brother Derek was talking about prayer this morning. Uh, one of the things that we can do you say, "Oh brother Charles, I'm not I'm not very eloquent in prayer." Don't have to be eloquent in prayer. What you have to do is know how to, how to call out to God and say, "God, I need you today." I need you in this moment. I, I need strength right now for the troubles I'm facing. I need strength for the battles that I'm I'm looking at. I need strength uh, when I see uh, the world and the condition of the world and where it appears we're going. Lord, I know you're coming back again, but I know between now and then things are going to get bad and things are going the world is going to get morally decay and get into chaos potentially. Lord, I need strength. Because I don't want to follow after the chaos. I don't want to follow after the evil. I need your strength to sustain me, to not go the ways of the world and the ways of the wicked. Give me, call upon him. I don't have to be eloquent. Lord, I need you. You know, I got a feeling we were talking a little while ago. I've, I have a feeling that David, when he was out there attending to his father's sheep uh, and, the, and the bear and the lion, uh, you know, were coming after the flock. I just have a feeling David wasn't that eloquent in prayer that day. He didn't suddenly fall down on his knees. Oh, Heavenly Father, I need you here at this moment uh, to show your abundant mercy and grace upon me. I need. He wasn't doing all that. He said, Lord, I need your help now. The bear's coming. The lion's coming. Please come and send your holy angels to surround me. Maybe that was it, right? Maybe that was all. We don't have to be that eloquent in our prayers. God, I need you. I need you now in my life. I need you now to protect me and give me strength and courage. Probably was a little bit of that in the prayer that day. God, give me courage. My flesh is wanting to run right now. (laughs) I I do see the bear and I do see the... See, I saw, did y'all see the thing? I think we mentioned it last. That, you know, we had been up to the mountains here a few weeks ago. The couple from, uh, who's, uh, I think they were from Georgia, but they had, some, one of them had a background from Birmingham or whatever. They went up there on their honeymoon, and uh, the guy hears some noise. Hears the car alarm go off, and he goes out and sees a bear inside his car. And he doesn't know how the bear got in the car. Uh, anyway, so he took some pictures, and of course then had to call the insurance folks to come see if they could fix the car. Anyway, uh, so... Uh, Probably as he's standing there looking at that, he's he's wanting a little courage too. And uh, so, so, uh David was calling out for courage. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You don't have to be eloquent, Lord. I need you. I need you to strengthen me. How then? Okay. And we get back into this, and we talked about this a few weeks ago. But I want to remind you, there appears to be almost a conversation Paul is taking place as having here. With kind of the straw, what I call the straw man. Uh, there's actually a term for it called dialectic argument. Uh, but you know, who needs to know that, right? Uh, it's kind of like it's kind of like having a straw man discussion with somebody somewhere sometime. Uh, that and Paul is carrying this out in his letter, right? So he says, so he may ask this question, and this is the question I think of the detractors. They're wanting to know. Paul is telling them. The Gentiles have this law written in their hearts and their minds, and they're calling on the Lord. You Jews are going about trying to establish your own righteousness through your own works, not realizing what God has done for you. God has already written it in your hearts and minds. Call on him. He'll deliver you from being ashamed. And, and their question back to him is, how then shall they call on him who they've not believed? And whom shall whom they've not believed, and how shall they believe in him whom they've not heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher? Boy, sounds like to you know a lot of people say reasonable questions. There are people in the world today that are Christians that believe that you cannot be saved. that all of that they believe in the elect of God. But they also believe all the elect of God will hear the gospel. And they will all believe the gospel. They will all follow after the gospel. And they'll all persevere in hearing and believing the gospel. Uh, uh, there's, no, there's a lot of non-evidence for that in the scriptures, okay? Uh, and we could uh, go through and count a number of different people that we know that did not persevere uh, in, the, uh, in the grace of God. Uh, but they were obviously in fact, some of the ones that you find listed over in the eleventh chapter of the book of Hebrews didn't always persevere uh include, including David, including Abraham and others that are that are mentioned there but anyway, so he goes on and he asks they're asking this question well how how did the gentiles I, I mean you could almost how did they get this without the law? How do you hear in, in modern and they bring it to modern day church type things and say how, they, how do they call on Him whom they not believe? How, do they, how shall they believe in Him whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be said, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things? And Paul echoes back to him and says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? And if you want to go read that, you can turn to the uh, 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah, uh, and, he, and he asked there, uh, as the prophet Isaiah was giving a call out to the children of Israel, he says, who hath believed our report? Who has believed us, Lord? We're giving all this message and this information to these people. Who's believed our report? <clears throat> so then, then the question comes again. So then faith cometh by hearing... And hearing by the word of God now here's how I know this is Paul having a conversation he's asked all these questions, how shall they preach except they be sent uh, as it is uh, how how shall they call on him whom they've not believed how shall they how shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? how shall they hear without a preacher? all of these questions being asked Paul's been telling them. There are those that have responded to the uh, things of God and to the righteousness of God because they've had it written in their hearts and their minds, right? And they're saying, but how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they call on him whom they've not believed? And Paul says, but I say unto thee, but I say, have they not heard? Have they not heard these things? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words to the end of the world. I want you to pause for a moment. If you got your Bible, turn to the 19th uh, chapter of the book of Psalms. Uh, and we're going to read over there because uh, the, the, the psalmist says, uh, uh, and, and we'll talk about some other things that go along with this maybe for a little bit. Uh, uh, but here in the 19th chapter of the book of Psalms, uh, David, uh, who we've been talking about this morning a little bit, uh, David says, The heavens declare the glory, uh, uh, glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set the tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices as a strong man to run his race, and so forth. He goes on to tell us, basically, if you have uh you know uh if you had if you had the uh the uh faith of a grain of a mustard seed right you could look at all these marvelous things every night in the sky or every day in the in the world around you and you would know there has to be a god amen today uh you know uh Brother Derek, Brother Derek and I uh, both studied uh, mechanical engineering. One of the things that fascinated me when I, when I got up into the level of courses where they were talking about the things that they make us mechanical engineers study about all types of different uh, levers and joints and so forth and how they move. And, of course, well, you have to calculate the force on all these things and what they can do. But one of the things that fascinated me about that was when you began to look at the types of joints that connect two arms together There's nothing out there on your car as far as a ball joint uh, or as far as other types of things on your car, there's nothing on that car that you can't find. Uh, the first version of it was maybe your shoulder or your knee or your elbow or something. And the way it's even lubricated uh, matches and, and looks like the type of grease that you put in your car to help keep the thing from rubbing together. And and, and, and we know today that if, you're, if you lose the fluid uh, that's around your knee and you get bone against bone, you know what? People have to have knee replacement type things done right because it's not working right anymore and if you get the fluid going out of the joints in your car and you get metal against metal It'll tear up. <laughs> and, it, and it happens whether it's on your car or in a power plant or wherever it might be, and you learn that. Well, people that have studied biology and microbiology and all those kind of things like that, you know what they've learned? Very down, right down to the very tiniest cell, it's hard to comprehend how that thing absorbs energy. I eat food every day, and somehow this body turns that food into energy that feeds the cells that make it all run and work. How did that happen? <laughs> Now you can believe, if you want to, if you're out there listening to this, I'm looking at a pretty solid group here this morning, but if you're out there and you want to believe somehow, that somehow a speck of dust came together somewhere out in the universe and over time all these planets that you see out here revolving around in the sun and the moon and seasons that go from year to year and somehow these animals and these plants uh, that, that learn to live off the sun and these bodies that eat food and absorb energy and run and work and do, if you want to believe that all that just happened to happen over some thousands and millions of years good luck to you i believe that i look into creation and i see a creator i see a god who put things in place and set things in motion and established it today and that's basically what paul is writing to these people over here in the book of romans he says have they not all heard Shouldn't they have been able to look, even if they didn't have the word of God, shouldn't they have been able to look out there and see that there is a God that works and makes things happen? Surely there is. For he says, verily have they not heard? Yes, verily their sound went into all the earth and their words to the end of the world. But I say, again, but I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, "I will provoke you to jealousy with them that are no people, and by a foolish nation will I anger you." Uh, God says, "It's not like you didn't know all this, and it wasn't like you didn't know Gentiles were going to be brought into all that." Turn in, turn back to Deuteronomy chapter thirty-two. Uh, I had to do a little fishing around to find this. You know, I'm we're we're blessed. I guess in a lot of a lot of times, you know, we'll uh, uh, there'll be things that. Uh, our, our our Bibles will have reference, references out in the center column reference or on the side somewhere, you know. And, and actually, sometimes the references will be good. <laughs> sometimes they're not good. <laughs> So in my Bible, on this particular portion of Scripture, uh, it says here, uh, uh, Have they not heard? Yes, their sound went into all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. But I say, Did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation will I anger you. Well, I looked at the references. I looked them up. None of it made sense into what I was reading, okay? So then I do a little start doing a little word search on jealousy and so forth. What do I find? I turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Here in this speech that Moses is giving to the children of Israel, uh, just before they after their forty years in the wilderness, and just before they're about to enter into Canaan's land, Moses calls them together, presents to them Joshua, and says Joshua's is going to take my place, <laughs> and he and he begins to give them this long speech about what God has done for them, and also what God will do to them if they don't remain faithful unto God. Okay. And he says this, and I'll just dive in here to a place. Let's start with verse 15 of Deuteronomy chapter 32. But Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked, thou art waxen fat and thou art grown thick, thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation." Isn't it interesting that uh, the rock which the builders rejected uh, and which uh, became a stumbling stone uh, that uh, somehow Moses uh, uh, thousands uh, several thousand years before the time of Christ or before the time of the church is talking about the rock of salvation Uh, here in Deuteronomy 32 uh, they provoked him to jealousy with strange gods with abominations and provoked him talking about God to anger they sacrificed unto devils not to God to God's whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly up, to whom your fathers feared not. Of that rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful, and hast forgotten God that formed thee. And when the Lord saw it, he abhorred them, because of the provoking of his sons and of his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them, and I will see what their end shall be. Wow. Now, <laughs> You're talking. You, now this this comes right back around into Romans ten and eleven, and the teaching that's there. He, he, he and this is in Deuteronomy chapter thirty-two, Moses telling Israel uh, that uh, because they had worshiped false, because a people had worshiped false gods, he says, "I" in verse twenty. He said, "I will hide my face from them, and I will see what their end shall be, for they are very a very forward generation." children in whom is no faith. Wow, okay. They, they have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They provoke me to anger with their vanities. I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. Here, Moses is prophesying that the day is going to come when God is going to provoke the children of Israel to jealousy through a people which is not a people to them, not considered a people unto them, Uh, uh, a a nation which is not a foolish nation to them. The Gentiles were foolish people, uh, according to the Jews, because they didn't have the one true and living God. He says, I'm going to provoke you to jealousy through those who are not a people. How am I going to do it? Because I'm going to show to you, that I have a people in every nation, kindred, tongue, and tribe on the face of the earth, and I can write my laws in their hearts and on their minds, uh, and I can do that without a preacher, and I can do that without them uh, without them calling on the name of God uh, and so forth. So he 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 tells them this, and we turn back to Romans eleven. He says. Uh, <clears throat> Have they not, verse 18, but I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words to the end of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? (laughs) First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people. And a foolish nation will I anger you. But Esaias is very bold. And when he says, uh, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest to them that asked not after me. Isaiah chapter 65. Let's just turn over there. You know, he's, Paul is making the point to quote uh, these uh, Old Testament scriptures to him. Why is he doing that? Because they were Jews that were there that should have known the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, and he's reminding them, God has already told you this. Uh, so in, uh, he said in verse six, uh, chapter 65, verse 1 of Isaiah, I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. You mean there are people that actually found God that wasn't looking for Him? They didn't actually maybe have a preacher come preach to them, but somehow God found them. I'm reminded of Jer of, uh, of the words I believe of Jeremiah uh, uh, talking about uh, uh, no uh, uh, talking about Jacob. Uh, Jacob says God found him in a waste howling wilderness. And it got, and Jacob was not looking for God. I, I remind, I remind you of the story, which you've probably heard or known. But you remember how Jacob and Esau, uh, you know, Jacob. Uh, uh, Fooled their, fooled their daddy you know and him and his mama worked and, so that he could get the birthright while Esau was out hunting you know and so forth he comes back in and he finds out that Jacob that, uh, that Isaac has blessed Jacob to be the, the son that would in, be, get the inheritance uh, and Esau becomes wroth with uh, Jacob uh, and Jacob runs uh, and leaves and his mama sends him off you know with her blessing uh, and Jacob gets to a place out there uh, and lays his head down on a rock Whew, I hope it was a smooth rock. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, everything we know about pillows and how much it makes my neck hurt. But anyway, uh, I hope it was a nice rock. But it was still a rock. Jacob laid his head down on a rock that night and he fell asleep and he had a dream. And he saw a ladder from heaven down to the earth. And he saw angels ascending and descending upon that ladder and uh, Jacob Jacob woke up and he says, uh, "I realized God was in this place and I didn't know it. God found Jacob Jacob wasn't looking for God. Jacob was running from Esau, <laughs> but God found Jacob anyway and at that point when God realized when Jacob realized what God was doing for him. Jacob then took oil. He built a little altar, poured oil upon the rocks there. And uh, that was the place that he came back to after many years later and came back and worshipped God there again in that place. But he says this, uh, Isaiah says verily boldly, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest to them that asked not after me. But to Israel, he saith, all the day long I've stretched forth my hand to a disobedient and gain, gainsaying people. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter sixty-five, and we'll read again. I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, behold, I said, behold me, behold me unto a nation that was not that was not called by my name. I said, behold me to a nation that was not called by my name. I have spread my hands out all the day long to rebellious people, which walketh in the way that was not good, and after their own thoughts. Boy, that was what God said about Israel here in the Old Testament and, Mo, and and Paul quotes that and reminds the children of Israel of that that God was found of a people that wasn 't seeking for him and it was prophesied even in that day of Isaiah that it would come about now i 'm going to begin into the eleventh chapter, just read through it just enough and then we'll, then we'll dive off into that next time okay but he says, I say again here's that conversation. We, we go back and look how many times he but I say unto you, but I say, did not Israel know? But I say, have they not heard? Then in chapter 11, verse 1, he says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? If God is able to reach people without the law and without the preacher and without, has God just cast away his people to Israel? Paul's strong and affirmative answer, God forbid for I am for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, and of, you know it's kind of like uh, here, here are the people who said, "Well, if God works all this without the law and without the Old Testament worship service, what good are we?, you know, uh, you know, has God cast away his people Israel?" Paul says, "Look at me, I'm evidence that He hadn't cast us away. I'm an Israelite." I'm a seed of Abraham, of the tribe of a uh, uh, tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away His people, which He foreknew. There's your answer. Right? There's again is your answer. You know, a lot of times people will read these portions of Scripture, and I know this, and maybe you know this. Uh, maybe you've had conversation. People will say, "God does not cast away Israel." Uh, well, and they and they 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 couch that. If you're out there listening, I'll just say you know, read it, okay, uh, and and read what it says. Uh, they'll count that as the nation Israel. God has not cast away His nation Israel. You know, and and I believe, and I've said this before. I do believe there's a special place in the in the heart of God for that for that people. Uh, but. Listen to what he says. He says, God has not cast away his people which he foreknew. He's reaffirming what he wrote in chapter 8. Whom God foreknew, them he also predestinated. Whom he predestinated, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also uh, justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? God has not cast off his people which he foreknew. Doesn't matter whether they're Jew or whether they're Gentile. Doesn't matter. If he foreknew him, he's not cast him off. And he says, "What? What? You know not what the Scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession against Israel, saying, Lord, 'Lord, they've killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life.' Now, here's your. So here's your charge between now and next Sunday, okay." Go over to the 18th and 19th chapter of 1 Kings and you read about Elijah's confrontation with the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove and how all of that took place there in the Old Testament Scripture. And then I want you to read how Jezebel, the, the, uh, the wife of King Ahab, uh, after, uh, after Elijah, through the power of God, had destroyed the, uh, the uh, false prophets, the prophets of Baal and the grove, came and threatened Elijah and says, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take your life because of what you've done. And Elijah, after seeing fire rain down from heaven, consuming the sacrifice on the altar, took off and run. All right? And, and he gets to a cave, and I'm, I'm summarizing this a little bit, but he gets to a cave over there, and he starts pouring out his heart to God. You know he, he he should have been calling on God before, before he was running, but he gets to the cave and he calls upon God, he says, "Oh Lord, I'm the only one left that's doing what you want done. I'm the only one." And God looks at him and says, "I've got seven thousand who have not bowed their knee to baal that you know nothing about. Now, why would Paul bring up that lesson at this point in the book in this letter? to the church at Rome. He's letting them know. Just like, you know why Elijah didn't know about them? We'll get into this more next week. Uh, But Elijah, they had never contacted Elijah. Elijah had never contacted them. Yet God knew, even though maybe they, and maybe they weren't going and worshiping at Jerusalem like they should have been. But you know what? They'd never bowed their knee down to Baal. Why? Because God had written something in their hearts and on their minds and they knew Baal worship was wrong. And even though Elijah didn't know who they were, God knew who they were. He brings that up at this point, at this point in the letter, to let them know God is able to reach people without the prophet getting to them, without the preacher getting to them, without you getting to them, okay? And that's the beauty of, Of how God works so as we as we study this and continue into this and say uh, and look because he's going to get into what God has done for us here in this uh, in this book and he's going to talk about the olive tree and about the wild branch being grafted in the natural branches being broke off we're going to look at all that next Sunday so you read ahead and uh, have some thoughts in your mind already as we get into studying this a little bit more about how God is able to bless even though you and I may, may not ever get to someone, God is able to bless them. But you know what? It's rich if they stop and acknowledge what God has done for them. I'll say that. May God bless you through this coming week. Read and study some more. Uh, and we'll be praying for each other. As uh, as Sister Marsha and some others pointed out uh, to us this morning, and as probably you've read, we got people working at UAB and so forth. The coronavirus is bad, and, and, and getting seems like it's getting worse again. So... Uh, Watch out for yourselves. Protect yourselves. I hope uh, I hope you're still able to get together with some of you folks at Thanksgiving. We're go- we're going to try to do that, uh, and uh, just be cautious when you do. May God bless you. Is our prayer.